Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. That we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the river believe in the five solas. We're going to go through them. The first one being sola scriptura, which means the Bible and the Bible alone. Let's say Bible alone. Bible, Bible alone. Very good. Y'all are awake tonight. And we also believe in sola fide, which means faith alone. Let's say faith alone. Very good. We also believe in sola Christus, which means Christ alone. Let's say it together. Christ alone. Very good. We also believe in sola gratia, which means grace alone. Let's say grace alone. You got to smile when you say that when it's only by grace. Amen. We also believe in sole deo gloria, which means God alone receives the glory. Let's hear it. God alone receives the glory. Upon these five, five solas, they are singles. That's what sola means all by themselves. But they come together. And they're the five pillars that we stand and adhere by. We believe that the Bible is our only authority. It's the highest authority. We believe that we have faith in what the Bible says. And what we have faith in is Christ. And Christ deviates towards us grace. Because we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't tithe our way to heaven. We can't work our way to heaven. We only go to heaven because of grace. Simply grace and grace alone. We also know that all of that brings glory to God. Whether a sinner dies in his sin and goes to hell. It shows that God... God is just in his decision to keep the law and to enforce the law. But when a sinner is saved by grace and is walking the streets of gold in eternal bliss with Jesus Christ, God alone gets the glory in that. And I do hope today he gets the glory in our Bible study. So if you would, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one in the pew. You can take that one with you. But all I ask is you take that Bible with you and you wear it out. Read it. Tear it apart. Well, don't really tear it apart. But wear it out because you using it as we look in the book of James. James chapter number 3 tonight. I want to remind you who James was. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now we know that that's a work of God for a brother to say that his brother is God because I have brothers and I know some of you have siblings but there's no way that you'll say they're God. You might say they're the devil but not God. So we know it took a work of God to work in the heart of James and he became a pillar of the church in Jerusalem and he led church services and they worshipped the very person he grew up with. Eventually James, they called him old camel knees. The reason they called him camel knees is because he wore wore calluses into his knees because of his prayer life. I I wonder, do you pray that much? Are you old tender knee? Are you one who, 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 who casually mentions Christ throughout the month? month, if at all. Let us be like James. Let us be willing to die for Christ, but also willing to live for Christ. Amen, somebody. As we look in the book of James, James chapter number 3, James is telling us something tonight. We've actually covered before in chapter number 2, but it's so important that James mentions it again. He tells
tells us about taming the tongue. If your religion will not tame your tongue, you don't have a religion. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. We can see here that James is, he believes it's so important, he repeats it again. We look in James chapter number 3. If you would like my notes tonight, well, all you have to do is open your Bible and read along with me. And in fact, this is where I'll be next week, wherever I leave off today. This is called exegesis. It was when we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I don't use Hollywood movies to garner your interest. I, I don't use musicals and ballets and mimes to get you interested. We use the Bible because we believe that this is God's Word and we adhere to it. We bow our heads and receive the oracles of God. So let's see tonight what God is saying to us, His believers. In James chapter number 3, verse number 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Ooh. That's a little heavy. What it tells me is that when God calls you to a pulpit, He calls you to holiness. When He calls you to minister and lead a people, He calls you to be the real deal. We don't need any more hypocrites. We don't need any more fakes in the church. We need the real deal. When my wife was younger, she worked at BB&T. Now that bank has basically been bought out. But what she would do as she was a tailor, she would work and hold money all day. And she would hold the money. They would count, they just tell her to count money. That's what she did. That's how they train tellers. They just hand you money and you hold it all day and you go across the money, you recount it. And what they'll do is they'll slip in a counterfeit. The reason being is because you've handled the money so much that just the touch of the counterfeit, you know it's a counterfeit. Just because it's different than the rest. You should handle the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Pray the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. So when you hear a counterfeit, you say, ah, 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 that ain't right. Preacher, that ain't right. Because I want to let the congregation know you're blessed here. I'm not tooting my own horn. I have to stay true to the Word of God because we open the Word of God and we go verse by verse. I don't have much wiggle room. I can't make it up. But there are some churches where there are counterfeit preachers, counterfeit teachers. And we call names here. Robert Tilton is a false preacher. Benny Hinn, false teacher. Zachariah Ravi Zachariah, who was one who passed away a couple of years ago, said beautiful words. He was an apologetist. That means he stood before people and he would defend the Christian faith. However, if you ever notice, even though he, he sold out stadiums when he spoke, he had an Indian accent. However, he never spoke about the Bible. And once he passed on, all the floodgates burst open and it came true that he had an alternative lifestyle. He did wicked things behind the scenes. He he did not line up to what he said when he was in front of the crowd. When he was behind the scenes, he was a different person. He was a Jekyll and Hyde. We don't need any more counterfeits. We don't need any more fakes. Well, what that's probably doing to you is scaring you. You say, well, I don't want to be in ministry. Well, what it should do is call you to the real thing. Why don't you be the one? Be the one that really preaches and preaches and practices what they preach. Well, why don't you be that one? Whenever you're encouraging somebody, it's because you live it and you believe it. It's not just a job where you clock in. 
Whether you're teaching Sunday school or leading a small group, working with children, working in, even in the nursery, whether you're leading a men's Bible study or a ladies' auxiliary, be the legit, be really authentic, a Christian who serves Jesus Christ. Uh, I know I probably won't get a lot of amens. But he says we should not be teachers. Don't be quick to teach. Because we'll be judged with a, strict, a stricter, stricter judgment. I, I want to let you know that the Bible tells us that it's appointed for man once to die and, and then the judgment day. You will stand before God on judgment day. No doubt about it. Whether you believe in God or not, it doesn't really matter. You, you can say, well, I don't believe in gravity. And jump off the top of a building. You're going to find out right quick. It don't matter what you believe. You're going to find out real quick that the ground comes really fast. You can say, I believe in the universe and I believe in karma. I believe this or I believe that. People believe in the tooth fairy. People believe our president's saying. People believe all kinds of stupid stuff. But the Bible tells us that you are appointed to die and you stand, you stand before God. But what, what most believers don't understand is that there's a Bema seat. This is found in Corinthians when Paul tells us that the believer who serves Jesus will stand before God. But you will not be judged on your sins. You will not be judged on your sins because Jesus bore our wrath. He bore our sins. What you'll be judged on is your works and what you did before God. And it will be tested with fire. Jesus being our chief cornerstone. And how did you build on that chief cornerstone? Did you build on it with hay and straw? Selfish ambition. Did you build little Jenga towers trying to build your kingdom because you were selfish and you wanted everybody to know about you? Or did you build with a purity of making Jesus' name known to the masses? Did you, did you do it for Him and His glory alone? That's why James is reiterating to us that not everybody should want to be a teacher. The reason being is because I don't know if you notice sometimes I say words wrong. I'll, I'll mix up what chapter we're in. I might say your name wrong. I, the thing is the more you talk the more mistakes you'll find yourself making. And many times I do a lot of mistakes and I don't even catch them and I keep going. The point is I wag my tongue so much and I'm more liable to make a mistake. A person who never speaks doesn't make any mistakes. The thing is, I'm going to have to lean, lean hard on Jesus for grace and mercy. I, I do, personally. Because I, uh, I heard one preacher one time, he says, I wish I had 3,000 members in my church. And I said, man, are you crazy? The 60 to 70 members or the 70 attenders of my church is enough to keep me up at night. That I'm responsible for every word that rolls off my tongue. Because the words that roll off my tongue are life and death for some people. That what I'm saying has a, a, a heavier context. That some people, they have the luxury of clocking in and out of work and having the weekend off. Preachers and pastors and youth pastors and Sunday school teachers do not. Small group leaders do not. Community leaders do not. They carry the burden with them all the time, in season and out. They pray for those in their, that have charge over them. Just like I do for you. In this text, in chapter number 3, you almost read this and you'll get discouraged. 
Because it's almost as if it's James was to say that no man can tame the tongue. That is true. No man can tame the tongue. But through the power of the Spirit, but the power of Christ changing the root, the fruit will change. We see here that we'll be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. The Bible actually tells us in James chapter number chapter number one that the stumbling that we read about is sin. We all sin in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Truly, there is no one in here who is flawless in all your words. If we simply printed out every word you said just this week, it's enough. Enough evidence before God to send you to hell. Let's be honest. Let alone what you thought in your mind. But we're not even examining that. We're only examining the words that were spoken this week. James says here that we stumble with our words. I want to give you examples. We see where Moses, he cursed the people. He was angry at the people. He was the most meek and humble man on the earth. Yet he sinned with his tongue. What chance do I have? Even when Paul was being arrested and brought before Ananias, when they struck Paul across the face, he spat and yelled at the high priest. He called him a whitewashed tomb, which means he's nothing but a graveyard full of dead man's bones. Even the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament sinned with his tongue because the Bible says don't say anything bad against the high priest. If Paul did that, what chance do I have? Chances aren't looking too good for someone like me. I don't know about you. Maybe you, everything you come out, everything that comes out of your mouth is potpourri and gold. I don't know, but I can tell you, not me. For slander and gossip Innuendos. Uh, and in innuendo, it could be something where you, you say it in such a shady way that people can take it another way. There was a story of a, a sea captain who put in his log, Today, my first mate was drunk. And that's all he put. The first mate later saw that he put that in there and to get revenge on him, a couple months later put in his log, Today, the captain was sober. That's innuendo. Saying that the captain is always drunk. Whenever we shade it just enough backhands with sarcasm, backhanded comments, lies. Who here is guilty of those things from the front to the back, to the windows to the wall? We're all sinners in the eyes of God. He says that he is a perfect man. There are no perfect men here. Even my wife, she knows that I'm not perfect. We see that we stumble. The stumble is something that is written in a way that it's current, that we stumble. It's active. That means we sin. The thing is that Christians still sin. I know that you might hear that different from other pulpits that once you come to Jesus, you don't sin anymore. And if you find yourself sinning, then maybe you're not saved. That's not true at all. Because even Paul says in Romans chapter number 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, sinful man that I am, what hope is there for me? And if the apostle struggles with his sins, don't you think we will too? But Paul answers his question, what help is there for me? What hope is there for me? And the next phrase is, if you're taking notes, is Romans 7. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, what hope is there for me? 
Christ Jesus. He is my hope. He says here, He is a perfect man, able to bridle His whole body. That truly, let's be honest here, and let's just, let's just be real. 99% of the problems you have in your life is because of your tongue, of what you said. Let's be honest. Self-inflicted. We're like spiritual arsonists. Whether we slandered somebody, hurt somebody, using our tongues. No, our tongues will not break bacon, will not break bones and stones, but it will break a soul and a heart with just our tongues. That's the problem. Our hearts are wicked, so our tongues wag in such a wicked way. Just like a John boat. Anybody know what a John boat is? It's just a boat. It's just a little boat. If you tie it to the dock, it stays there. But if you get out of the John boat and you go about your way, it's going to drift to the middle of the lake or down the river. We naturally drift from God. Nobody wakes up wanting to get closer to God. We must sanctify our hearts. We must renew our minds and set ourselves to honor and serve God because we don't naturally drift towards holiness. We don't naturally want to be pleasant. We don't naturally want to bite our tongues. We don't naturally want to do good works. We must pursue Christ and Christ pursues us and makes us, makes us do those things. We see in verse 3, if, you, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We guide our whole bodies as well. In verse number 3, I want you to understand that a horse could weigh up to a thousand pounds. Uh, an animal of war. That's what they called them in the archaic times. These beasts of war are able to run through troops, knock them down and trample them. But if you put a 10-year-old little girl on the back of that horse and give her the reins, she can control the beast. Yet, we can't control our tongues. I've seen the videos of SeaWorld where they have, uh, you know, Free Willy, that big old whale, the blue, it looks like a panda, you know, it's a fish, big old fish. They got them jumping out of the sea. They got them doing tricks. They got seals doing flips. I've seen people put their heads in lion's mouths. They can conquer beasts, but they can't conquer their tongues. The mouth of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the wind, will of the pilot directs. Me and my wife, we, we, we used to love going on cruises. And it, it blows your mind when you stand beside those cruise ships. Those luxury liners, humongous. They're basically cities on water. But they're driven by just a small plank, a rudder. Carrying that vessel whatever direction. The truth is your tongue is just like the rudder. This is not some self-help, new age concept. These are the very words of God that He's speaking to you. Saying your tongue will dictate the way your life goes. And whoever controls the rudder decides which way you go. Are you controlling the rudder? Are you running your tongue? Well, I'm, I'm one to tell my opinion. When everybody don't need to hear your opinion. Let me go ahead and pop them bubbles now. I just wear my emotions on your sleeves. The Bible calls us to self-control. Self, self-control. Who is running the rudder? Who 
was piloting the ship? Is it your deceitful heart? Jeremiah 17, 11 tells us, Above all things, the heart's wicked, naturally depraved, and sinful. You must be born again, is what the Scripture tells me. And when the Holy Spirit has full control of your heart, He'll have control of your tongue. Mm. No, I'm convicting me right now. I'm just going to be honest. Because I still slip and I still fall. Y'all know me. If I'm not behind this pulpit, I'm having a good time. I'm laughing about something. I'm sarcastic. Dry sarcasm. If I'm not behind this pulpit, but I want to let you know that God's still working on me. There's some things I shouldn't laugh at. Hey, I'm just being honest. There's some things I shouldn't joke about. And I'll be judged before God on judgment day. And I want to let you know if I've had said something that causes you to stumble. If I have laughed at something, you caught wind of something I said, or pastor should have laughed at that. Pastor should have said that. Give me as much grace as you want. If you want forgiveness and mercy, if you want a break, give it to me as well. Amen, somebody. I ain't getting on nobody. I'm, I'm getting on me. That's how I'm getting on me. <laughs> so the tongue is a small member in verse 5. Yet it boasts of great things. This mucous membrane is what it is. It's just a pile of flesh. It only weighs a pound. But it wags and makes great, great exploits. It says a lot. But it don't really do that much. <coughs> the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. I know you've probably watched the news in the last 10 years over in California. How, how the fires have raged on and on. And there don't seem like there's an end in, in sight. And it all began with a little spark. Back in Chicago, back in 1897, there was a woman who was milking her cow outside her cottage home in Chicago. As she was milking the cow, the cow kicked one of the, one of the lanterns. And when it did, it fell over. And it burned and burned the great fire of Chicago. Many lives were lost and all it took was one spark. One comment. One sarcastic word. One misplaced word is all it takes is to fire up a raging storm in somebody's heart or a situation. When you ain't got nothing to do with it and you make a comment about it, it's enough for somebody to carry a grudge for years and years. And if you would have kept your mouth shut, the healing would have took place a lot, lot, lot sooner. There are some people who are going to reap the fruit of their words sooner than later before men and God. Even if you mouth off in front of a magistrate and say something cocky in front of a magistrate, oh, it's going to be a little harder on you. I tell my kids all the time the famous phrase by John Wayne, life is hard, but it's extra hard if you're stupid. <laughs> Let us seek wisdom. Let us not shoot off at the mouth. Let us walk with humility. Let us humble ourselves. It doesn't really begin in our mouths. It begins in our hearts. The very word you say today could keep somebody alive. Or the words you say today could cause somebody to off themselves. <laughs> to tell you the truth, uh, I hate to say it in front of my boys, but they already, I already told them. When I was their age, my mama had this big old cactus in our living room. And I heard my mama say, the power is in the tongue. 
So what I did when Mama went around is I talked real mean to that cactus. I said, you stinky, ugly cactus. I don't even like you. You cross-eyed. You get ugly. And true, truly, truly, that cactus started to shrivel and started to die. I blame my little brother and said he peed in it. But there again, there's me lying again because my tongue is wicked. But the, the analogy still rings true. The power of life and death is in your tongue. But truly your tongue is tied to your heart. And if your heart is deadly, so will be your tongue. If there's poison in your heart, it will be in your tongue. Really, what comes out your mouth is really what's on display in your heart. It's like a megaphone for your heart. If you are wicked, lost, and depraved, it will come out of your mouth. Now, I'm not talking about positive affirmations. There are some people who say, oh, this is fine, everything's good, and everything's burning down around them. And they're having a hard time. But they still smile and say, today's a good day, every day's a Friday. And they smile and blink a lot like they're from Houston. They just say positive stuff, and it ain't really that positive, let's be honest. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God snatching and saving and changing your heart. And when He does, your tongue will follow suit. Amen, preacher. Amen. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a word, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue, is, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. How many of us have to carry a reputation because somebody said something to us when we were smaller? They might have said it and it might not even have been true, but we still reap the repercussions. They might have said it and it was true, and you just can't get the chains off of you because they said it. Many times our reputation gets there before we do, let's be honest. Kind of like body odor. I knew you were coming before you got here. We see here. The tongue is a fire. Some of us are spiritual arsonists. You're setting fires all around you. Instead of speaking peace over things and putting out fires, you're conjuring up storms and troubles in people's lives. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I, I know a pastor today who had an accusation from a young lady who said that she, he was inappropriate with her. He lost his ministry. Almost lost his marriage. He almost lost the will to live. And it was all a lie because later the young lady came out and said, it was a lie. I was just upset and I was angry. It doesn't matter if she comes back and says, I'm sorry years later and tries to take it back. The stain is put there. His life has reaped the repercussion because of the fruit of someone else's lips. Do you realize the power of what you say? For you to understand that, maybe somebody's lied on you or you said some stuff and you said it flippantly and you didn't think much about it. There's been many times like Peter, when I opened my mouth, I was just waiting for another foot to go in my mouth because Peter, who was standing before God, one of his apostles who said, I'll never forsake you. I love you more than all these others. And won't but 24 hours later, he was denying Christ. So we see... We see in the text, we see humanity. We see men and women who say things and they set themselves ablaze and those around them. So what hope is there for people like us? 
I tell you, if David sinned as bad as he did, and he was a man after God's own heart, what's up? What am I going to do? It don't look good for me. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. They say when people are on life support, and you go in, I've done it many times, I've gone in to see many people in the hospital who are unresponsive. In fact, my grandfather, his name was Logan Hennett, one of the meanest people I've ever met. I went into his his room when he was on his deathbed and he was laying there. And there's a certain death rattle that pastors get used to when the person starts to shake and they start gasping. And my grandfather was going through those motions as he was not long for this world. However, I knew he could hear me. So I started witnessing to my grandfather. I said, Granddaddy, trust Jesus. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. But what I didn't tell you is that my grandfather had been in a lifelong struggle against Jesus. He hated God. He hated Christ. He made comments to my mother. He says, when I get to heaven and I see Jesus, I'm going to pull out my shotgun and pop him right between us. Wicked things like that. He was in a lifelong rebellion against God. He hated God. So can you imagine, even though he was frail on his deathbed and his young grandson was witnessing to him, he tried with all that was in him to come off the the deathbed and attack me as I still witnessed to him. There are those who are laying in their beds and you might think they can't hear you. Speak life to them. They can hear. But there are those who are seated around you at the dinner table. There are people across the street. There are people you work with. And you think they can't hear you. They can. Continue talking about Jesus. Talk about grace and mercy. And how He forgives sinners. Because that's all there is. There are nothing but sinners. But Jesus died for sinners. Because that's all there is. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Naturally, in my natural state, in my natural fallen state, I, I could be a respectable person in the neighborhood. I, I, could, I, I could have my name on the tip of everybody's tongue. I could have riches untold and I could be famous. I could have everything that anybody in this world would ever want. And my heart be wicked and my tongue full of poison. What good is it? Even if my casket was solid gold and I still died and went to hell, what good is it? What good is it if you, in in a year's time, you get a a good job, you find marriage, you get children, and you get a big house and a nice car? What good is it if your heart is still lost and the evidence is found on your lips that you speak depraved, venomous words? Christian, if you have found yourself being full of venom in your words, being full of gossip in your windows, laughing at wicked jokes and repeating things that ought not to be said, like Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word come from your mouth that you will give an account before God on judgment. If you find yourself there, what do you do? 
It's not like you can take it back. You said it. Word verse 9, He says, With it we bless our Lord and our Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We'll come to church and when we sing our hymnals, we'll sing, Great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And by the time we get to the car, we're fussing about somebody who parked too close to us. We're angry because somebody cut us off. We're mad because somebody scuffed our shoes. We're, we're speaking venomous words to our spouse because she can't choose what we're eating. We, we, just, we just yell in anger. Our tongues were just the first, first, a few moments ago. We're singing praises to the living God. But in His likeness, our neighbor, our friends, and even our enemies are standing there and we shoot darts at them from our own mouths. We bless our Lord and Father and we curse the people who made who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, from the same mouth came blessings and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be. If you had a well in your own property, in your own yard, and you drop the bucket into the well, and you pull out the water, and you drink it, and it's sweet. Oh, it satisfies. Oh, it adds, those, it adds those endorphins in your mind and it's so satisfying and so fulfilling. And you drink the water and you wipe your mouth and say, I could go for another drink. And you drop the bucket in the well, this time pulling out putrid, wicked sewage. You would say, well, this well is unreliable. Oh, I know, I know. There's this thing called bipolar. I know. There's this thing called medical issues. A lot of times, truly, the truth, truly, is you're a sinner and you have not repented of your sins. Let's just going to be honest. If we say you just need therapy, what we're saying is you, sh- you just need a good doctor. No, you need the good physician to change your heart. Now, now, I'm not saying if you've got issues that you don't take your medicine. Take your medicine and serve Jesus. Still take your medicine. Don't go to your psychiatrist and say, well, I ain't going to take this no more because the preacher said I need to be born again. Get born again and take your medicine. But many times, the case is with our habits and hang-ups, if we call them pretty words like that, we don't feel as bad about our sins. That's the truth. That's really what's going on. You must be born again. We get to the root of the problem. I know James is talking about the fruit here, what's coming out of your mouth, but he's going to get to the heart. The issue is the heart. Who has hold of the udder? Who is driving the rudder in your, in your life? Who's driving the ship? Who's in control? Is it you and your, your, your selfish ambition? Is it your attitude? Is it your wants? Is it you? Or is it Christ? When Christ is in control, the words you speak will be Christ-like. Amen, preacher. That means that cursings and bitterness won't come from the same places of praises and worship. I I know this is convicting. It's convicting to the preacher. I know it is. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here again in verse 11 and 12, James gets to the source. The source of it all. Truly, I can tell if you've been in your Bible by the words you're saying. I can tell if you, if you love Jesus by what you're saying to your neighbors and even what you say to your enemies. 
I can tell. I, I, if, you, if you follow around somebody long enough, you'll figure out what they're made of. I heard the story of a, a pastor on cleanup day. Y'all know cleanup day. Where we all come together and we clean up. And, and there was one man who was following around the pastor. The pastor had a hammer in his hand. And he said, why are you following me around? He says, I want to see if you're really what you're made of. If, you're really, if you really are what you say. Because the moment you start swinging that hammer and you miss, you're going to say something. And I want to be near. Well, you say, well, that ain't fair. He's still flesh and bone. Absolutely. Usually what's in us is already in us. Nobody makes us sin. Nobody. I want you to imagine a mason jar. And it's clear water. But there's some debris in the bottom of it. You might even look at the mason jar. If I hold the mason jar just right and hold the bottom and you don't see what's in the bottom. You say, well, I drank that. But the moment we put the lid on and shake it up, we see that the water's not that clear. There's all kinds of twigs and dirt inside the water. Whenever you face obstacles and you face that hard-headed person who's just getting on your nerves, they didn't make you sin. It was already in you. So what are we to do? We're in this body. We're still, still facing life and death. We still have to live here. We're not, we're not totally free of sin. We still have to deal with this body on this side of glory. Yes, we, we, we will. But what we can do in the meantime is show grace for somebody who said something they should not have said. And you know what? We shouldn't even expect that back. We should just watch our words a lot closer. We should watch what we say in the situation. Yes, this will come with maturity. The Christian will mature. They will not say whatever's on their mind. Let it roll right out their mouth. You need a good filter. You need a good filter to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. Well, use your Bible. Does it glorify God? Does it make much of Him? Does it encourage somebody else to live holy and righteous and good? I, I realize tonight that there's power in the tongue. And there might be a little strength in my tongue tonight. So I want to give you something to help you tonight. You've examined yourself and maybe you found yourself coming up short. That maybe your heart has a couple of cesspools in it and issues and struggles that you're dealing with. But let me give you something tonight to encourage you. If you would, turn to Romans chapter number 8. As you're turning to Romans number 8 tonight, this is called the Great Eight in theology circles. They say it's one of the greatest chapters written by Paul. This is actually Paul's swan song that you would say. This is like the epitome of theology. For the Christian, what we'll read here in a moment is going to encourage you. And I'm going to use my tongue to encourage you. How about that? That way when your heart is encouraged, hear me tonight. When your heart is encouraged... When your heart is encouraged tonight, you walk out those doors and you encourage somebody else. Because hear me clearly, the storm is coming. Trouble is waiting for you. Not in the parking lot, probably in the foyer. Might even meet you in the pew. Trouble is coming. So you might need to be encouraged tonight. So let your preacher encourage you. In Romans 8, 26... Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. 
But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that's a little deep. What you're saying there, preacher, is that when I don't even know how to pray for myself and I'm weak and I'm tired, the Holy Spirit prays over me. Yeah. Oh, okay, we start out good, preacher. Keep going. Let me hear more about that. When I don't know what to say. When I don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That means when I moan and I groan, my God understands me and the Spirit prays over me. How many of you love it when a brother prays for you, lays hands on you at the altar? Imagine the Holy Spirit praying over you right now. And if I know anything, is that if He prays for me, everything's going to be alright. And He who searches the heart Knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you don't know what to pray or what to do, the Spirit prays over you according to the will of God. That means it's going to be alright because it's God's will. You don't have to say, ah, 50-50 shot here. God Himself is praying over you. Ah, that's a little good to me. Maybe it ain't good to you. Maybe it ain't hit you. Maybe it don't matter to you. But it's good to know that when my mama ain't praying for me, my spouse or my children or even my church folk, God is praying over me. There was a time when I would hold my children I would, at night and Sherry would be exhausted as mommies are. She will lay in the bed tired. I would sing over them and hold them. They couldn't do nothing but cool and good. But their daddy spoke over them, spoke prophetically over them. You will be a man of God. You will serve Christ. You will lead your household in holiness and righteousness. I spoke over them. And God speaks over you. And all you can do is goo and coo. Moan and groan. The Spirit prays over you. Oh, preacher, tell me more of that. See how that tongue thing works? See how it encourages you? By the time we get to the end of this, you're going to jump up out of your pew. And we ain't going to open the door. You're just going to brush through the doors, TP. You just knock the doors down. Say, get up out of my way. i got to tell somebody about this God who prays over me. He intercedes with the saints, verse 27, according to the will of God. And verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. That means even the bad things that happen to me is for my good. The firing is for my good. That addiction, those walking out on me, all the good things and the bad things were for my good. It wasn't good at the time. It didn't look good. You don't even call it good. But it's for my good. Preacher, tell me more about that. For those whom He foreknew. Verse 29. Oh, you got to see this. For those whom He foreknew. That means He foreknew you. That means He knew you before you were here. He foreknew you. He had to know you beforehand because He would have never liked you afterwards. Amen, somebody. He knew you before you were born. For those He foreknew, He also predestined. That means that that one's not even born yet, hadn't drawn breath, but He's mine. That one's going to get addicted. That one's going to get tore up. That one's going to make bad mistakes, but He's mine. He predestined. He just decided in His love and His grace to bless you. I don't know why. I don't know why He decided to love me. But he has. Some of y'all trying to talk him out of it. Are you sure? You sure you want to love me? And he still loves you in spite of you. Oh, okay. We just act like this ain't a big deal, but we'll keep going. 
He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. The best thing that could happen to you is you end up looking like Jesus. Amen. So take the betrayals. You'll look like Jesus. Take the family walking out on you. Take the loneliness. Take the heartbreak. Take the depression. Take the being torn out. Take it. If it makes you look like Jesus, take it. How's that going to make me look like Jesus? Anything that makes you pray more is a good thing. Anything. Cancer. Preacher, you're saying cancer's good? If it causes me to trust Jesus more, then all things work towards good. Amen. I know that don't, people don't get excited about that. They want Jesus to come down and just heal everybody. And it's, he don't sometimes. Sometimes He does. But in the meantime, all things work towards good for those who trust Jesus. Amen. In order that we might be the, be the firstborn among many brothers. In verse 30, and those whom He predestined, He also called. That means He has set His eyes on you before you were born and then He calls you. Whew. How many have answered that call? How many knows that it was Jesus who saved you? It was Him. How many know it was Him? It was Him by Himself. He did it all by Him. He didn't need no help. He did it all by Himself. Amen. The only thing you attributed to your sin... Your salvation was your sin. That's the only thing you brought to the table. It was Jesus. It's been Jesus. He did it by himself. Just like a mother holding an infant in his arms, that baby's going to hold on to her blouse or her shirt and say, I'm holding on to mommy. Because if I don't hold on to mommy, she's going to get away. That silly little infant doesn't realize that it's mommy's strong arm that holds that baby. It was God who saves you and holds you by grace alone. His arm is able to hold you. His grace is sufficient. That's all you need. <laughs> Preacher, you encouraging me. I know I'm encouraging me too. <laughs> whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. He called you and He justified you. Justified is a courtroom word that uses not guilty anymore. The fine has been paid. If you've ever had to pay restitution, if you ever had to make things right, this is a court word that's used to say, it's as if, just if I'd, just if I'd, just if I had never sinned, just if I had never sinned. Are you hearing me? I am justified before God. I'm no longer guilty. I'm forgiven. He paid the fine, justified before God. Yes. And when He looks at me, He don't look at my... My past, my reputation. He don't look at my rap sheet. He looks at me as a child. Tag on, that's good. Amen, somebody. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Notice, He calls you. But before He called you, He set His heart on you. And He destined you. He called you. He justifies you. And then He'll glorify you. That means you're in the middle of your justification. That means you're in the middle of it. But next is the glorification. That this is not it with this world. That there's a better world. There's a place where there are no more tombstones. No more goodbyes. And no more tears. And we ain't there yet. So we ain't got to get comfortable here. That's right. But in the meantime, when my body aches, my head is spinning, my heart is broken, I have a Holy Spirit that prays over me, who steadies me and keeps me. Glory to His name! Amen. Now this is the good part. What then shall we say to these things? Paul was saying here, we can't even say nothing else. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? 
He gave up His Son for us. That means anything else we need, He's got that too. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That means who's going to bring anything against you? Will Satan come before God and say, well, this and this and this? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of the Father. Who indeed is interceding for us. What? Yes. I just told you that the Spirit prays over you. Now I'm telling you that Jesus is praying for you. Can you say that again, preacher? Okay, I will, because I really like it. The Spirit prays over you when you groan and you moan and you don't even know the words to say. Have you ever heard somebody pray for you? And you're like, okay, okay, I'm feeling stronger. I feel like I'm going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. You, you hear their prayers, whether it's your mama, your me, my grandma. John Bun- Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he said if he could imagine the throne room and he could put his ear up to the throne room and hear the prayers of Jesus over him, all the imps and demons of hell could not stop him. Jesus is praying over you. It's what it says. And I believe it. He's praying over you. There's a conversation in heaven right now. And Jesus is calling out your name to the Father. Give Him strength. Steady Him. Hold Him. He's mine. Order His steps. Give Him clarity in His mind. Encourage Him. It's what Jesus is saying over you. Right now it's what it says. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What will separate you from Christ? If He has gone this great extent to save you, to send His Spirit to pray over you, to hold you, predestine you in election, keep you, and cry out your name in the halls of heaven. What will separate you from Him? What if you move and you didn't leave a Ford address in heaven? What if you get a new job? What if you find yourself in a ditch somewhere? What if you made mistakes and you're broken and you just can't find your way up or down? What if depression has gripped you? What will separate you from Christ? Will famine... Hard times, nakedness or danger, war or sword, distress, will that separate you from Christ? Will tribulation separate you from Him? No. Nothing will separate you from Christ. For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Basically this portion of the text says, we trust, we trust the shepherd. We walk with Him no matter even if it's to the slaughter because He is in charge. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In verse number 38, He goes to reiterate once again what will separate us from Christ. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers or things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor death or anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If trials and war, hardships, if that ain't enough to cause Him to walk out on you, then certainly spiritual things like 
angels and rulers will not cause Him to walk away from you. Nor things in the present, nor the future. No powers. No height. There is no mountain too tall where He cannot reach you. And no valley where He cannot snatch you. Nothing in all of creation is what it says. Will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. See how I use my tongue there to encourage you? Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. What about my addictions? It won't separate you from His love. What about my sins? No, He died to remove those sins. It won't separate you. What about my tongue and my bad attitude? Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And when I have that security, when I know that I'll never be separated from His love and His mercy, it causes me want to want to do more for Him. It causes me want to serve Him more. Amen. That I don't have to earn His affection. I don't have to work and grind to make Him like me. He already loves me. And nothing, nothing in all of creation would separate me from Him. Nothing. I said nothing. Think of something. It's not that. Nothing. Nothing will separate you from Christ. Nothing. Amen. Go ahead and throw one at me. Nothing. Nothing. It's what it says. You tried to debate with me. I'm too dirty. I'm too stained. Nothing will separate you from His love. I'm too wicked. i got a rap sheet. I've done some wrong things. Nothing will separate you from His love. That's a calling on your life. That means you repent of your sins and trust in Him. You've broken His laws and His statutes. There are those who God will not save. Those are those who will not repent of their sins. The sins that you repent of are the sins that you don't do anymore. Those are the only sins you're forgiven of. The ones you don't do anymore. If you find yourself constantly lying, you're not forgiven for lying. If you find yourself lusting all the time, you're not forgiven for lusting because you're practicing sin constantly in the face of God. And He is telling you nothing will separate us. The only thing that's going to separate you is your sin because you walk away and you don't believe this to begin with. But if you're dealing with sin today, you're dealing with anger and unforgiveness, you're dealing with it, that's the point. You bring it to Him. And you're not using it as a wall to separate Him because one day you're going to get exactly what you want if you continue to sin. 1 John 3, 4 is the breaking of God's law habitually, continually denying His grace. He'll give you exactly what you want to be away from Him. But in all actuality, you're going to be right there with Him but there's no comfort and no forgiveness in an eternal hell. So while you can, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Repent. Trust in Him. Trust in the One who will never fail you. Who will never leave you. And lay your head on your pillow at night knowing it's not your performance. It's not what you can do for Him that causes Him to like you. Or even tolerate you. A lot of us have people we tolerate. We put up with them. But this is not tolerant. This is love where He lays Himself down to die for us. And nothing will separate us from His love. Nothing. So whoever you are, if you need grace tonight, you've come to the right place. Jesus just so happens to have plenty. He's not going to look you up and down and say, you too dirty. Let me go check in the back and see if i got any extra. No. The bigger sinner you are, the bigger Savior He is. And He will not let you down. Praise His name. Let us bow our heads and pray.